up, everybody? And welcome to Crossfire Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Russell Dornish, alongside my co-host, the Reverend David Petty. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, We're very excited to bring you another podcast. Um, Before we get started, quick housekeeping thing. Uh, We do have a new website up, so I want to encourage you to go check it out at uh, crossfirepodcast.com. Uh, you can also shorten it to crossfirecast.com. Both of those will get you there. Or if you just remember the, the term church for gamers, you can visit churchforgamers.com. All three of those will take you there. Crossfirecast, crossfirepodcast, or churchforgamers.com. So uh, with us, we have the wonderful Elise Carr. And uh, Elise, we're going to interview a little bit later. But for now, let's get into our news for the day. Russ, you want to start us off with our news? Yeah, and uh, we have two really, really big stories that happened in the last two weeks. Um, But we're going to start with the one that happened most recent, which is today as of filming uh, here, Thursday, September 24th. And that is Amazon has finally revealed their cloud gaming service titled Luna. A few of the details around that real quick um, before we get into kind of what this means. Um, The service is going to, and by the way, it's going to be an introductory price of $5.99 per month. And they are going to go with a Netflix-style kind of streaming where that $5.99 is going to get you um, a selection of games that you'll be able to play, Summit 4K, 60 frames per second. And you will also be able to play on two devices the exact same time. Uh, And some of the games that it includes, uh, and this is from an IGN article that details Luna, it is uh, Luna will launch with games such as Resident Evil 7, Control, A Plague Tale, Ukulele, and The Impossible Lair for the introductory price of $5.99. They also told us that Ubisoft is going to partner with them and offer a separate channel that you will pay a different monthly amount. You will get all Ubisoft games plus every future Ubisoft game day and date. So, David, as our resident Stadia apologist <laughs> on the podcast, what are your thoughts with Luna and what the ramifications might be for Stadia? I, I have a lot of mixed thoughts on this. I think first off, um, I yeah absolutely was a Stadia apologist. Uh, I I thought Stadia was you know going to be the new sliced bread. It was going to be the bee's knees. Uh, it was it was great when I tested it out, uh, and then they said it's going to be even better, and it's going to come with all these features, and it's going to have all this uh, availability on all these devices and so many games. And then it launched, and it was like, oh, ninety percent of what you promised us is coming soon. And three months in, it was still coming soon, and six, nine, 12 months in, it's still not even what they promised. Um, so a lot of people were saying, you know, well, what does Stadia need to do to, to compete with Amazon Luna? And I said, well, first they need to actually do the things they said they were going to do. Um, but I do think it's interesting because Stadia, one of the biggest crit- criticisms people had of the service early on uh, was they wanted a Netflix type subscription f- service where they would pay one monthly fee, get access to all of the games, Uh, And instead Stadia did kind of, I would actually say what Amazon prime video does where it's like some things are free, but most things you have access to be able to pay for uh, later. And so people were frustrated with that. They were also frustrated with the lack of games. uh, And you know, then I think the lack of devices where people couldn't play on iOS devices. It was a long time before you could play on phones. It was a long time before you could even play wireless. Uh, So I think Amazon launching with a hundred plus games, uh, says a lot for their seeing what Stadia has done. Uh, I also think the ability to play on two devices at once would be really neat, especially for, you know, within a family to be able to say, we want to play 
uh, Fortnite together if Fortnite was one of the games. Uh, and so, you know, where you can normally play Fortnite on the same console, you can't do that if you're on something like Stadia or cloud service. Um, so I think that answers that question. The biggest question though, for me is going to be, does it actually work? Uh, having such high hopes for Stadia and I would say X cloud and GeForce now, none of them have really seemed to be able to fully deliver on this hypothetical promise of the future of cloud gaming they all feel like they're still in beta. So that's kind of, I'm, I'm going to wait to see what it actually looks like and does it actually work. Um, but if nothing else, more competition in the space is going to be better for everybody. Um, I'm curious, Elise, do you have any thoughts on this? I'm always kind of hesitant on uh, like subscription stuff, especially when it's like Amazon prime and how you have to pay for certain it's like getting it it's like getting a mobile game and then they say oh you get all this stuff but oh by the way you get an ad every 20 seconds and you have to buy cosmetics and extra packages <laughs> so i'm always hesitant with subscription stuff like that um, yeah and i would also say you know from an amazon standpoint we know amazon does a lot of ads with the data that they collect so what does this mean for ads for Amazon? Um, are they just going to advertise more games to people? Is it going to be a, you pay this one monthly fee and Oh, by the way, before you start playing, we're going to tell you what you need to buy off of Amazon. Um, I, I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see how much crossover there is there. Yeah. So Russ, what are your, uh, what are your thoughts on that before we move on to our next piece of news? I mean, I, I think it's a great start for Amazon. Obviously, people have to actually try the service, like you said, before we can really say this is a Stadia killer. On the surface, just the promises, if they can deliver, it could be better than Stadia. But until that time comes, uh, we won't know. And then I just, I do find it funny. If Ubisoft comes to Amazon Luna before Stadia, because it was, what, five, six months ago that Ubisoft said they were doing Uplay on Stadia and we still don't have it? That would be embarrassing for right. sure. So, the, the you know, as they as Yoda said in uh, the Clone Wars, you know, uh, the, the, the cloud gaming wars have begun. Uh, so I do think we'll one last happens. quick thought on it is that um, it'll be interesting to see how many people they can get on their platform because that's been another complaint at Stadia is people jump into these multiplayer games and there's nobody available to play with. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if they actually do anything with crossplay Cause that was a huge thing that sold me on stadia was at, uh, at the game developers conference. They said, you know, one of our goals from day one is to encourage crossplay across all devices so that not only will you get this great experience on stadia, we're going to make all of these games crossplay so that you can play your Ubisoft games with your friends on PC or switch or PS and to date, I, I think the closest they have is you can play PUBG between a PC that has Stadia on a controller and somebody that's on an Xbox. And like, um, that's it. There's David. maybe two other games and I don't know. It just, all right, let's move on to the next news before I get sad. I, I was going to say, um, they just <laughs> announced they're actually removing keyboard and mouse from PUBG on Stadia. Yeah, no, I, I did see that. And probably yeah, the reason so. is because if you're on a PC and you're playing PUBG, you can only do that with the controller on PC on Stadia. If you yeah. go to a connect a, a keyboard, then it kicks you out of the game. So they probably did that to ease frustrations people are having by trying to play keyboard and mouse and then not being able to crossplay. I don't know. It, it's a mess. Let's move on to Xbox. Okay. Uh, I'll announce this, this one. 
Microsoft announces the acquisition of Bethesda parent studio ZeniMax. Uh, and so this was pretty exciting news. Uh, I'll let Russ tell you more about it, but uh, tell us what this means for Microsoft. Well, this is officially the biggest purchase, the biggest acquisition in gaming history. Uh, Xbox buying ZeniMax Studios for a large sum of $7.5 billion, that is with a B, billion dollars in cash. The purchase will not go through until the second quarter of 2021, so it's still going to be a while before we see all this. However, um, just to put this in perspective, uh, how much did Microsoft buy uh, Minecraft? I think it was twice as less or three times. It was like two point. Uh, it was three point eight, three point eight billion dollars. So more than Minecraft, but that was for than- a single game. I'll I will, I'll say. <laughs> A single game, uh, and I did just look it up. It does look like um, Acquirer Tencent Holdings, uh, the Chinese company, um, did buy Supercell, uh, a Finnish mobile game development company based in Helsinki, uh, for $8.6 billion. So maybe the most expensive in U.S. history, uh, but not the most expensive I, completely. Well, okay. Well, anyway, it's a anyway. lot of money. It's more money than I here's have. The other, here's the other one I want to put in perspective. Uh, Disney bought Star Wars and Lucasfilm for four billion, so right. it is worth more than Star Wars. This purchase, twice okay? as much, almost, to- almost twice as much. Um, so what it includes, just to to give everyone the details, obviously Bethesda is part of Zenimax, um, the parent company, but they are also a part of other studios that are a part of this, which include ID Software, makers of Doom. Uh, you got Evil Within Studio, Tango Gameworks. You got Machine Gu- Machine Games, which is Wolfenstein's developer, which I absolutely love, Wolfenstein. All of these games are now under the Microsoft umbrella. Somebody put a picture of uh, the Marine from Doom battling it out with Master Chief and saying, will we ever get this in the future? Uh, so the possibilities are insane. On top of that, Bethesda Studios that obviously works on um, Elder Scrolls, Fallout, Starfield. They are now back in the same house and company as Obsidian. So all you Fallout New Vegas fans, there is now hope of a sequel to Fallout New Vegas 2, uh, which people are freaking out. In fact, somebody tweeted that at Obsidian after this happened, and Obsidian's tweet just did the shrug emoji. Like, maybe, maybe we'll do it. Um so this is huge. Now the question is, and these are the couple questions that I'll ask for you, David and and Elise, if you want to chime in too. Um, the questions are: We don't know yet what this means truly for PlayStation or other um, systems. So the quote that came from um, Microsoft is from Phil Spencer, head of Microsoft. He said that they will um, honor the exclusive agreements that PlayStation Five has with uh, Bethesda. So Deathloop and um, Ghostwire Tokyo are now officially console PlayStation exclusives that are Xbox games, if that makes sense. It's super weird. Xbox is making exclusives for PlayStation, i.e. it's just weird. On top of that, are we going to see the future Bethesda games like Starfield coming out supposedly next year? I'm guessing it's going to get pushed to 2022 um, with everything happening. But are we going to see those games um, coming to PlayStation? Are they going to be timed exclusives? Are they going to be full exclusives? And then lastly, the best part about this is all of Bethesda's library, including future games day and date, will be on Game Pass. So 
Game Pass just got more insane. David, what are your thoughts on this? And do you think uh, PlayStation is in trouble because they're not going to be getting these amazing games that people love? I mean, I think it would be smart of Microsoft to, to really go either way. Um, I think you can say it's the smart play for them to say these are going to be new Microsoft exclusives. Because um, one of the things that sold me on PlayStation early on was the fact that they had so many exclusive games and, and Microsoft's exclusivity was pretty low. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, they, there was what, Halo and maybe a couple others, but no major AAA titles like you have on, on PlayStation. Um, so I think that could be a smart play. I also think it could be a smart play for them to just say, you know what, we're going to release this on everything because that gets us the most money. Um, and the other thing I would say is, you know, back to game pass, if Sony's real long game here is not to sell consoles, if their long game is to sell game pass subscriptions, then absolutely putting them on game pass helps to sell more game pass subscriptions, um, which is already a great deal. And then you add EA games, you add Bethesda, you add, you know, the rest of the Zenimatics, uh, world, it just becomes a better deal every single day. So those are my thoughts. Okay. Elise, do you have uh, any comments or thoughts on this? Do you have any experience uh, with some of these wonderful games like Skyrim, Elder Scrolls, uh, Doom, Wolfenstein? Uh, there was a time when the only thing I did in my spare time was play Skyrim. That's everybody. Right now I have like 431 hours on it and 75% of the achievements. I'm going for 100%. Um. I tried Fallout 4. I wasn't a huge fan of it. Um, I have Fallout 4, uh, Fallout New Vegas. haven't played it that much, but I think Microsoft buying Bethesda gives Bethesda a m- massive opportunity. And look, they're already a huge company, but this could make them even huger. And they could produce more games. They could produce more games of the same quality if they chose to. So... I think that would just blow up potential experiences. Yeah, I I think it definitely helps too. Because, you know, Bethesda kind of has a running history of like the bugs and issues with some of their games um, that they've had. I bet you that Microsoft is going to make sure that the quality is there all the way through. No releasing these buggy games. We're going to give you enough money and resources that if you need to delay a game a little bit and make sure it's actually, you know, polished... I think we'll probably see that in the future. Um, but like you said, I mean, so so being a Skyrim person and putting that many times, I'm assuming you're excited for Elder Scrolls 6. Uh, if, if it's an Xbox-only exclusive, I mean, does that get you to want to buy? buy <laughs> <laughs> well, and there we go. David, we just proved the point. You know, those fans of those games are willing to, I mean, especially because I know that Skyrim is such a huge deal that people put in so many hours into it that I guarantee they'd buy the console just to play Elder Scrolls 6. So that is a huge, huge get by Microsoft. Um, And I'm excited to see what happens from here and how it all works and what happens with the exclusives. We don't know because as Phil Spencer said, they're going to do a case-by-case basis. So, you know, PR speak for I'm not saying yes or no, um, which is great. But well, and I think it, it just shows that much more that Microsoft is really stacking their cards right now. Um, I mean, there was that news that came out about the Microsoft Studio, the initiative uh, and that they they claimed is a first of its kind quadruple A game studio, which everybody's like, what does quadruple A even mean? <laughs> 
Um, but we still don't even know what they're working on over there. So, you know, That's Microsoft's got something up their sleeve and then they go and they buy Bethesda, Zenimax. Um, I would say they're stacking their cards. You know, if you're Sony, you gotta be, you gotta be kind of shaking in your boots a little bit. There's, there's one thing that I've been seeing in the news the last two days that there were rumors for one Microsoft's not done purchasing and two, the other rumored one that they may be in negotiations with you ready for this, David. They may be in negotiations to buy Sega. I'm not. I'm not okay. even kidding. Like that sounds insane. But everybody keeps saying like the rumors for Sega sound insane. But they would have been even more insane had you said Bethesda was being purchased. So nothing's off the table right now. Xbox is kind of on a roll with this, which led into they they announced this purchase the day before pre-orders go live. I see you, Microsoft. I see how smart you are. You're going to announce this massive purchase and get people all hyped, and then you're going to drop the pre-orders, and guess what happens? Horrible, horribleness of the pre-orders. <laughs> as we went through one of the <laughs> second-worst pre-order experiences next to the PS5, which we'll, we'll talk about later on in you the You think news. it was second-worst to the PS5? <sighs> it, I think close. it was worse. It's close. It, it's, it's very close. Um, I've heard some good stories with the Xbox, but the big thing that I think actually may make Xbox's experience way worse was what you and I went through, which was the all-access. We were all excited. We've been discussing it here on the podcast numerous times. All-access is a great way to get us to buy a, buy a new Xbox and get Game Pass, and I was so excited to do it. And I almost I found maybe a few people that were able to get it in-store when they went to a GameStop and pre-ordered. Um, other than that, I've seen horror story after horror story, like you and I got lucky because some people actually got to go through the application of all access. They got their credit approved. They had a credit pull and then they were like, Oh, by the way, the consoles are sold out. So oh, you man. have a, a line of credit with nothing to use it for, <laughs> um, which is just the worst. And in fact, I really think, and I've, I've talked to a few people like, that are really angry about it that you know are lawyers and things like that they're like this is technically maybe illegal because i don't think you can pull credit on something that you're buying without actually like pulling the item to buy it it'd be like going to a used car sales office saying i want to buy that car taking out a loan taking the finance and then when you finish all of that they're like oh by the way we sold your car while we were you know <laughs> doing the negotiation um which is pretty predatory if you ask me so that probably made it the worst um, I think the other but, thing that makes it the worst is the fact that there were expectations, right? So when PlayStation went live with their pre-orders, they didn't announce it. The stores just did it. Walmart said, hey, we're going to start doing pre-orders. Target followed up. Best Buy followed up. GameStop followed up. Um, but there were no expectations. So when they sold out, some people got them. Some people were frustrated. But then Microsoft came out swinging and said, oh, don't worry. You know, we are going to be so much better than PlayStation. <laughs> we did. will have no, you know, there will be no question when the pre-orders go live. It will be exactly at this time. Everything's going to go smooth. And then, of course, it was not necessarily that time. It launched at 9 a.m. Mountain Time, uh, where we are on Walmart, but not on Best Buy. Best Buy didn't go live until 10 a.m., uh, I think Target went live a little bit after that. Some of the sites never went live. Um, some of them, by the time they went live, it said, by the way, we're sold out. And then back to what you were saying, the all access, the all access never went live for me. And for some people, once it did, they were already sold out because people had bought the consoles earlier. So in a lot of ways, I would say because they made this big promise, it was going to be so smooth and then completely blew it. <laughs> I would say that's even worse than PS5. 
Uh, maybe it's also just my bias because I was unsuccessful in attempting to pre-order one and I was successful on the PS5. So, anyway. Um, my my question, Elise, did you have any interest in the new consoles at all? Um, and, you know, had you, had you tried to pre-order, which one would you have maybe looked at doing if, you know, money wasn't a problem? <laughs> um, you know, if I didn't have $3 in my bank account right now? <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> um I've never really had too much interest in consoles. Okay. Just personally, I've always been a PC. Um, if I did choose to pre-order one, I would go with Xbox, just because Xbox ha- has uh, a lot more compatibility with PC. <laughs> so yeah. I'd be able to jump between them easier. I don't. I, I just. I don't like the idea of your hands being this close together. <laughs> or, give, me, so you, give me this any day <laughs> or would you have pre-ordered an rtx 3080 card i don't know Ooh. if my computer would be able to handle that <laughs> i'd have to get a new cpu first <laughs> new CPU, maybe even a motherboard definitely ram damn oh, <laughs> yeah because those yeah. were one that that's not even on our news but just a quick note about that because uh, those went live the pre-orders for the xbox 3080s and 3090s uh, and people created bots Xbox, that went out and bought up all of those cards and then turned around and put them up for sale on eBay for like $30,000 um, <laughs> in some way to try and prevent scamming. I don't know. I don't want to get into it, but it was also it's- a mess. So at this point, I would say all of the new stuff has been a complete mess. Yep. Except for Nintendo, because we don't have anything well, new for Nintendo. <laughs> but when Nintendo went launched with their Switch pre-orders kind of a similar thing happened my question is when will retailers learn that these things are in high demand and prep like how do you not get with the movie industry they figured it out when they sold avengers tickets when they sold star wars tickets they created queue lines on their websites that allowed you to wait in line you wait your turn to purchase your tickets it also prevented bots from coming in and just buying up all the tickets and selling them like they were smart about it how come the retailers were not able to like get with them and figure this out? You know, Xbox said, we're going to do pre-orders this day, this time. Why didn't they get with retailers and say, hey, this is the system you guys need to put in place and be prepared? Um, same with PlayStation. Why not put, hey, this is the system you need to have so we can make sure that, you know, it's orderly and we don't crash your websites and all that. And we don't give it a bad experience. Now, I will say props to playstation because they did apologize for their pre-order snafu xbox the only tweet we got after the whole pre-order thing was wow guys we appreciate the the you know the support and how crazy you guys are just so you know some point after launch we will have more consoles available for you um okay well that's not helping um so i'm very very hesitant to see i did it i did acquire both thanks to amazon I have a pre-order for a PS5 and an Xbox, again, because Amazon is, you know, if you're just quick enough a little bit and get the right thing, like, somehow you find a way, and I did. Um, But David really wanted the Xbox, had no luck. He did get a PS5 through Target. That was a little easier. Again, I think the, you know, stealth launch of the pre-orders helped you in that case because we just knew, and, and I was telling you, hey, Target's live. Go, go, go. 
and you were able to get one. The other thing I noticed with Target was that it was based on your local store's availability. And I don't know if this was the same thing for the Xbox, mm. but at least for the PlayStation. So when I first went to order at Target, it said, oh, by the way, your store in downtown Denver is completely sold out. And I went, well, that's not my actual store. So I, I changed it to my store, which I live in a rural area. So maybe it helped me out that not a lot of people were pre-ordering from my rural area compared to a lot of people in major metro areas. Still, I thought, how weird that the stock at some physical store has anything to do with my online order. That just seems weird. Um, but I mean, the other thought that I had was, you know, I recently got some stuff from B&H, uh, the photography company. And, you know, sometimes things go on back order. You can still order them on back order. You can make sure that you have your order placed. And as soon as it becomes available, you actually order it. So why can't these companies put in some sort of, you know, bot management tool that makes sure that you don't have... Uh, you know, a bunch of bots going out and buying these things, but then just take pre-orders, you know, and say, I mean, it's actually a pre-order, but take back orders and say, look, you're not going to get it on launch day, but we will get you it as soon as they become available for the next, you know, however many million people that want to buy it. But at least that way people feel like they've got their order in. My only other theory is this, that in the science, I would say the psychology of marketing, this creates an artificial sense of demand uh, and limited supply. And so by releasing a few here, a few next week, a few next week, people are going, Oh man, I just can't wait to get my hands on that thing. And I can't get it. I can't get it. And I can't get it. I need it. I gotta have it. And you feel like, well, you know, if you get it, it feels special, uh, which would feel much more special to feel like, Oh, you got one of the first ones than to just say, actually, you know, everybody that wants to can place an order and there's no limit. So yeah, there could be something I, uh, to be said for the psychology of that. Yeah, when I got my Switch, this was even like a year, maybe even two after it came out originally, I still wasn't able to get one for like a month. So I, and I was running all around uh, Metro Denver trying to <laughs> grab one. And eventually I just had to <laughs> have a go at a manager at a Best Buy and say, please, <laughs> please, I'll give you a cookie, <laughs> please. <laughs> bribery folks that's how it works that's right <laughs> well and i mean the switch is still in demand doing that so <laughs> yeah it's uh it's interesting because yeah the switch is still in demand they're they're still sometimes hard to track down i see people selling them online all the time for you know either the price they got it for when they when it first launched or for more than what they bought it for um so I, I i think COVID. i mean people are at home they're gaming more than ever right now and so i think you know, that mixed with probably, I think there's probably a lower amount of stock. Um, there has been some rumors that Xbox has greatly, greatly lower uh, amount of pre-orders than PlayStation. Not saying that they didn't sell out. I mean, both sold out instantly. But the rumor is, from what I've heard from some GameStop uh, employees, is their stores got maybe 10 Xboxes and 50 PlayStations. Um, and maybe only two Xbox Series S's and eight x's so people who went to like go wait in line um there was only a few people in line because everybody else got turned away so it it doesn't sound like microsoft had the stock and we haven't heard much from them about the stock sony keeps saying like you know oh by launch we're gonna have more playstations available than ps4s did at launch which would be great <laughs> and if they sell through that that is quite a large number of consoles but we'll have to see to kind but of you know what what xbox did sell a lot of russ Yep. They sold they sold some extra Xbox One Xs uh, to people <laughs> who right. 
I think thought they were <laughs> getting happened. the Series X, um, well, but went on Amazon and searched up like Xbox X and pre-ordered those $450 Xbox One Xs, um, maybe thinking they were getting a deal by paying $50 less than the Series X. Uh, again, I think this is just a, a major, like, Xbox, what are you thinking with this naming? Like, we've even gotten it confused a couple of times where I've talked to somebody and like, oh, are you getting the Xbox One S? Oh, no, 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 it's called the Series. You know, and then they, they turn around and say, well, no, this one's just called the Xbox. It's like, that's not helpful. Uh, you know, it's like saying it's a Camaro, but like, are you talking about a 1916 or a 1996 Camaro? Are you talking about like a 2016 Camaro? Like you can't just say Camaro and have everybody know that you're talking about the most recent version. So, yeah. Um, with that, uh, one final piece of Xbox news, and I'll just quickly throw it out there just because I did tweet about it. So if you really want to see this, um, I would recommend going to our over to our Twitter, uh, which is at Church for Gamers on Twitter. Feel free to follow us. Um, we post some news. We post some fun things. We interact with people there. Um, but Xbox came out with an awesome, awesome commercial for their new uh, family settings app, um, which allows you to control your family's ability to play on Xbox. So you can determine how long your kids can play. Your kids can ask for more time when they run out. Like and say, you know, can I have more? And it'll send a message to you immediately and say, do you want to allow your kids to play for another 30 minutes, an hour, whatever? Um, but the best part about this commercial, and David, you and I talked about it, watching it a couple times, is just the inclusivity that is in the commercial. Um, they have, you know, a, a lesbian couple in the commercial um, showing their kid and, and, you know, to play. They had a, a, a disabled parent in a wheelchair playing with their kids on the Xbox. They had an interracial family um, in, in the video. Like, Xbox, good for you guys in putting together this awesome commercial. I hope that it appears on TV, honestly, because well, I think that would do really well. And you have the uh, the very first couple they show, you know, is a, a black couple, and uh, their uh, the husband is in this like business suit, uh, but he's also making dinner in the middle of this commercial. So I'm like, heck yeah, dad making dinner, good on you. Um, but the rest of it, yeah, it was it was just a beautiful diversity to recognize, you know, gamers are of all shapes and sizes and, and you know, represent the, the diversity of the human spectrum. Um, so I thought that was awesome. I also just thought, you know, the the family settings is helpful. Um, some of this is not necessarily new. They've had this for Microsoft, like for Windows, um, and it was just not implemented well. So it's neat to see that come into the Xbox. Um, there's a similar feature on the Switch, but there's not anything, I think, similar to this on the PlayStation. So it'll be interesting, again, to see if PlayStation comes out with that. Uh, they've got some in-console settings, but not a lot. Um, but I think especially as we talked about, like, setting limits as a family, um, this is helpful. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it's, neat. It's uh, really And then really I would cute. say the last piece, uh, as we talked about on our console orders... Uh, if you didn't get your hands on a PS5, I don't know how soon we're going to get this up there, but tomorrow, which is uh, tomorrow, September 25th. So if I get this uploaded soon, uh, there will be more <laughs> PS5 stock available to pre-order. You're probably going to miss it. I'm probably going to miss it. And then we're going to have to go back and wait for more stock. So um, if you're interested in that PS5 uh, reveal, when they revealed the uh, price and everything out, we did a live stream of that on our Twitch channel. I think it's up on YouTube as well over at Crossfire Faith and Gaming on YouTube. Uh, so check that out. That was a lot of fun. But uh, what else do we have in terms of PS news? Or do you want me to announce this? 
Well, I can I can go on to the next. Um, this kind of it obviously piggybacks off of the PlayStation reveal, which again we covered extensively with our our PlayStation reveal event. You guys can go watch it again and see everything. But the big piece of that that kind of surprised us. Um, it's been in the works for several years, but the Harry Potter RPG um, that has been percolating in the background for WB it leaked. I think like two, maybe three years ago. Like three years ago. That yeah. they were making a Harry Potter RPG, and people were like, what? This is insane. And then we never heard anything. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it shows up at the PlayStation 5 reveal, and we get what looks like an amazing RPG set in the Harry Potter universe. Mind you, pre-Harry Potter. It's set in, like, uh, I think it was, like, the 1800s. Did it say? It said something like that on the, the yeah, trailer. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's a Hogwarts game, right? So the whole yes. the whole point is really to show off Hogwarts, you know, in that Harry Potter world, uh, Hogwarts mm-hmm. legacy. Uh, I don't remember what the time period was, but I don't think Harry Potter is going to be in it. No. Um, they also had announced that uh, I mean, J.K. if you Rowling, look at it from a... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, if you look at it from, like, a timeline perspective, if you chose to do... Um, have it based after Harry Potter, then that just opens it up to everyone's going to be talking about the war and all that. There's going to be repairs being done to the castle, and you're going to have to worry about that. If it's done, I think it could be pulled off around Fantastic Beasts time frame, but they would have to be careful. Yeah, it does look like here on the article on TheVerge.com, it says, In a press release, Warner Brothers describes the game as an open-world, single-player, action-role-playing video game set in the 1800s Wizarding Worlds, where players will experience life as a student at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Um, But I think the other thing that came out with this game that I really want to talk about for just a second is... Uh, A lot of people were very excited, right? Because there's a lot of fandom for the Harry Potter universe. Um, But J.K. Rowling has not been so positive in the news lately for her uh, kind of explicit, I would say, exclusionary practices, uh, specifically towards trans women. Um, And for those of you that aren't familiar with it, essentially her position is that she says, yes, I'm a a radical feminist uh, and I support women's rights and I support women, but I don't support trans women. Uh, so this has kind of come up with the term TERF, which is a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. Um, and rather than hearing all of this criticism, J.K. Rowling you know, could have said, you know what, actually, this is uh, thank you so much, everybody on the internet, for opening my eyes to how exclusionary I'm being, and I'm so sorry, and you know, changing her ways. Instead, she just dug in. Um, so she released a book uh, that was kind of an anti-trans book uh, under some other name, Uh, And then she also decided that she was going to dig in even further, promoting some online store that sells uh, anti-trans turf merch. So a lot of people out there, I think, in the gaming world are very conflicted right now. Do I go out and buy this game because I love the Harry Potter universe? Do I go out and buy it because I support the developers who have put their time and effort and energy into it? Or do I maybe pass this one up because I don't want to give my... 15% royalty fee or whatever it is to an author that I think is doing a lot of harm in the world uh, when it comes to diversity of of humanity. So I don't know, Uh, Russ, Elise, any thoughts? It's, it's, um, it's, it's so WB was real smart because they immediately came out and said, Oh, by the way, uh, JK Rowling has nothing to do with the game. Like they're trying to distance (laughs) themselves immediately from her before we can try and get too much backlash going. I think, I feel like it's kind of simmered down. Nobody's really talking about the game in that sense anymore. Obviously, she's still in the news because of all this stuff, and they're talking about that. Um, But I feel like I'm not hearing the game as much. 
Um, so I think maybe WB doing that a little bit has helped their cause to kind of say, it's a separate, don't worry. She's, she has nothing to do with this game. We've been doing it on her own. But like, I think even we, if she doesn't develop the game, she still gets a cut. She's, that's true. She still gets royalties because it's a Harry Potter trademark. So right. I, I think there is still just a deep, difficult decision to it's, be made. It's like, kind of like you know. Chick-fil-A. It's like, oh, yeah. it's so good. But the owners still get like half a tenth of a penny from my purchase. <laughs> right. And they're and still giving, still- you know, millions of dollars to uh, anti-LGBTQ organizations. It's rough. So. It's rough. I think, I think, I mean, obviously it's your guys' decision what you guys want to do. Um, we completely respect if you just say, I don't want to support this game because I don't want to support her and give her any of my money. You could also say, I want to support this game because I want the money to go to the developers because maybe the developers had nothing to do with it. And, you know, they work. We all know that gaming developers work a ton on games and it is not easy. It takes a lot of their lives, uh, it takes away from their families, all that. So it's like there's there's a catch-22, just like with what you said with Chick-fil-A. You, you may completely disagree with the CEO, but, you know, you may also say, like, I think the employees do a great job, and it's a great job for teenagers to have, and, and you know, it's great how they support that. I mean, there's there's two sides to everything. It's just really hard, but, you know, you can kind of make the decision of, am I comfortable with this? Am I not? Do I see it as this way or do I see it as this way? There's so many of those decisions to make, and we just want to say, like, you know, it's it's cool whichever way you want to go with it like we we're just very much you know you guys make your own decisions and figure that out we'll we'll give you information and stuff like that and i'm not gonna harp on this and say you guys can't buy that game because this is horrible and i hate it and and you guys you know we're gonna just talk about it every week of boycott harry potter game now um i don't think that's gonna be what we are uh but you know if that's what you want to do then you know more power to you and respect to you um, I've had that I, conversation with a lot of people. I would say like Chick-fil-A, um, you know, there was an app for a while that, that came out that was like, you know, did you just eat at Chick-fil-A? Okay. Here are 15 organizations you can donate money to, to offset your, your Chick-fil-A donation. Um, you know, so I would say, you know, if you're, if you're feeling conflicted, go find one of, you know, a dozen, uh, inclusive organizations that fight for equality and, you know, support those, uh, and say, you know, look, I'm really sad that I had to do this, but here's the other thing, right? You know, there's a, well, we're not going to get into that. There's a deep ethics, I think, <laughs> question with any product you buy, with any store you support. Yes. Uh, and I would exactly. encourage everybody to look into and understand as much as possible uh, the ethics of where they're spending money. And at the same time, give yourself grace because it's probably literally impossible to exist in a world based on commerce uh, and only support 100% ethical organizations. We're all going to do the best we can with the best information we have uh, and I encourage everybody to do the same. So, what I'd about say Nintendo? That, Sorry, oh, Elise. Go ahead, Elise. I was going to say that even it, like, instead of, like, buying the game and then <laughs> feeling guilty and donating to other causes, um, maybe don't get the game. And then there are, like, YouTubers and streamers. And you could support them by watching them play the game themselves. Yeah. yeah another option I heard great. somebody say was, you know, wait a year and then buy the disc used. So that way, you know, you're helping offset the person who bought the game, but you're not giving extra money. David, um, except then you're you're supporting GameStop, and we all, I, mean, I don't think any, no, I, I I don't say think support any gamers want to support say, GameStop. I didn't say buy it used from GameStop. You could buy it used from a person on, like, Craigslist or, you know, whatever. Oh, man. I, 
I find it kind of hilarious, and this is just an off-topic thing. I find it just kind of hilarious that GameStop's even selling the discless PS5 and Xbox because they're essentially <laughs> selling their downfall. And I'm just <laughs> laughing when I see that they didn't have very many, okay, mind you, but they still sold them, which I think is hilarious. If I'm if I'm GameStop, I'm like, no, we won't sell the digital versions here because you know that's gonna just put us out of business. But do they sell Stadia still controllers too? No, they do not. <laughs> No Stadia, no uh, no discless. Let's, let's just boycott used games of the future. Come on, people. Um, okay, so we have a little bit of Nintendo news. Um, you found an article that it looks like the next uh, Nintendo Direct um, may be coming on October 8th. I say may because a lot of these stuff changed. Um, and I'm reading the details of what's going to be shown at this uh direct and i'm like eh, i don't know if this thing's real or not mind you we love rumors we love looking at it let me do a quick rundown here and then i'll ask david to talk about it uh the potential games that they may be showing at this direct which just again sound insane uh warioware switch uh pokemon sword and shield the crown tundra so i assume more dlc super mario 3d world plus bowser's fury uh, Kirby Power Rumble, which, by the way, a Kirby game was announced today, so that may be right. Um, that was just announced literally a couple minutes ago. Dragon Quest Anthology, Fall Guys on Switch. I'd like to see that. Nintendo Game Boy games are coming to Switch Online. Grand Theft Auto 3. That's not... Okay, that's... No. Persona 5 <laughs> Scramble. Super Smash Brothers new pack. Crash Bandicoot is the character. Again, I don't think this is happening. Super Mario World's 3D All-Stars Super Mario Galaxy 2 DLC. So they're going to add... David, this is this this rumor is just insane. The Legend of Zelda Breath of Evil. So that's the name of the new Zelda Breath of the Wild 2 will be Breath of Evil. That kind of makes sense. But again, I would take this one with a very big grain of salt. Um, so it does look like because... the Kirby game, just looking it up here, is uh, yep. it's entitled Kirby Fighters 2. Uh, so maybe not exactly Kirby Rumble, but um, that's similar. Similar. That's similar. You know? it's a fighting game. Um, yeah, it's a fighting game. What that sounds like it's another, uh, what's it? The Super Smash Bros. It just sounds like a more cartoony Super Smash Bros. to me. Yeah, it says Kirby versus Kirby versus Kirby versus Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> um, in case you're confused so, about who's going to be in the game. Yeah, Dave. I'm not sure if this is too credible. Um, we'll have to see. Uh, oh, wait, now that I'm seeing this, uh, da, 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 looks like Wario 64 kind of started this because, yeah, Kirby Fighters 2 was listed and leaked. Um, and Wario 64, for those of you that don't know, if you are on Twitter, you have to follow Wario, Wario 64 um, because he is the number one person when it comes to rumors, leaks, games. For some reason, he has all the info, and people in the industry know that. Like, this guy's not, like, a checkmark Twitter person. He's literally just some random guy on Twitter who calls himself Wario64, and the dude brings the news. So, FYI, David, and you don't know this yet, the reason that you have a PS5 from Target was because of Wario64. He was the <laughs> one that first tweeted out that they were at Target, which then I messaged you and I said, go right now to Target, and that's how you got it. Same with how I got my Xbox at Amazon. He messaged out a direct link to add the xbox to your cart so you didn't even have to go to the page um and because of that i was able to snag the xbox and the ps5 because i did both so uh, right. go follow wario so, 64 but thanks the to person, wario 64 for the playstation 
That's right. He he. Somebody tweeted Wario 64 and said, "Here's the Nintendo Direct copy from Anonymous, which they got online and probably like Reddit or something like that." So I would I would take very small heed of that and see if we do it. In fact, one get the direct on October eighth. Two get any of these games because as soon as I saw Grand Theft Auto three, I don't think that's happening. Not on the Switch. <laughs> Never know. That, yeah, that doesn't. I mean, that would just be like a nostalgia kind of thing. That seems like just a nostalgia purchase. <laughs> well, and how many? I mean, did like did Grand Theft Auto China Wars end up on the 3DS? I, I, I no can't idea. remember because um, Nintendo is just not very good uh, with mature games like that. Um, and I just can't remember. You if can't it play was... Doom on the Switch, though, right? Uh, they did add Doom. That's right. I mean, they're, they're I mean, kind of laying Doom's off. not T for Teen. Yeah. You know what? They, uh, have, they have a few like PG-13 Teen and mature games. Like uh, okay. they have Dead by Daylight, which is pretty brutal. <laughs> That's true. I forgot about that too. I mean, I guess yeah. they might be they might be changing their stance, but I mean, Grand Theft Auto on the go, that's always a big seller. I mean, one of the top selling games on PSP was um the Grand Theft Auto games. There was Grand Theft Auto um the like 3 remake portable version. There was Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Um so those games were some of the top selling PSP games. So when when Grand Theft Auto gets put on the go, people go in droves to buy it. I don't know if Grand Theft Auto 3 is a great choice. It would be awesome if they could get Grand Theft... I mean, Grand Theft Auto 5 is on every console, and it's a launch game for PS5 and Xbox <laughs> Series X. Yeah. Like, they're doing it again through two generations. So I wouldn't be surprised if that eventually makes its way to the Switch, but who knows? Yeah, we'll GTA see. GTA 5 online on the Switch. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would so. be amazing. Um, but other than that, the we've got one last little quick PC news. David, if you want to talk to us about what is going on with Blizzard... Yeah, so, uh, I mean, in addition to all of the other crazy stuff that's going on with Blizzard we've talked about before, uh, some exciting news that Blizzard co-founder Mike uh, Morame, uh, which I probably butchered that name, but uh, some some Mike that works at Blizzard, uh, decided <laughs> to launch a new gaming endeavor called Dreamhaven, um, which I will say just from, if you look up the, the name Dreamhaven and you look up the picture associated with it, it definitely feels like uh, in that kind of Blizzard esque way of doing things. Uh, but Dreamhaven, I guess, is going to be kind of a umbrella company that's going to have multiple studios under it. Uh, so it says that Mike's going to be the CEO of Dreamhaven, uh, while they're going to have some other folks from that same team. Uh, and then there's um, going to be a couple of companies under that. So we don't have any news about what's coming from Dreamhaven. Uh, we just know that uh, there's Dreamhaven and then there's uh, Moonshot Games, uh, which is one of the studios within Dreamhaven. Uh, and Secret Door is going to be another studio in Dreamhaven. Uh, so that's led by uh, Chris Sigati um, from Blizzard. And Moonshot, it looks like, is led by uh, Jason Chase, Dustin Browder, and Ben Thompson. So uh, formerly executive producer at Blizzard. Uh, where he and, and these are folks that worked on Hearthstone, worked on StarCraft II, worked on um, World of Warcraft. Uh, you know, I mean, these are these are not small people at OGs. Blizzard uh, that are going. Yeah. So heroes of the storm, Starcraft two, hearthstone, Warcraft three. Um, and these are, these are top folks from there that are going to make a new thing. So this is the pre news about the news we may get at some point in the future. Um, but keep an eye out for secret door for moonshot and for whatever else comes out of dream Haven. Um, so that will be exciting to see. So 
I think that's all the news we have for today. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to interview Elise uh, to talk a little bit about gaming and especially the younger generation uh, that's doing their gaming. Uh, We're kind of just some old guys here. And we've talked a little bit about parents, you know, for us old folks and with the little kids. Um, But we're going to get Elise's take about what it's like to be an older kid, now adult, uh, that's doing the gaming stuff. So we'll be right back. And welcome back after the break. We are back now with our second half of the Crossfire podcast, and we have our special guest, Elise Carr, with us today. And we're going to just do a quick interview with her, have a little bit of discussion uh, about games and about her background and things like that. Um, So to go ahead and kick it off, Dave, you want to get us going and let's uh, get to know Elise a little bit better. Yeah, I'll go ahead and kick us off. Uh, So Elise, just let's start off. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, what, what are you up to in life? Um, how's the pandemic been treating you? And uh, what do you like to play? Um, well, I'm Elise Carr. Um, both my parents were uh, our pastors. My father is a district superintendent for the Trinity District in the Methodist denomination. Um, my dad actually used to be the pastor at where uh, David is preaching at right now. So that's how I know David. <laughs> Um, uh, I kind of define myself as agnostic. I'm not really (laughs) hardcore Christian, (laughs) as you would say. Uh, (laughs) I help out around the church as much as I can. I, the games I play the most, right now I'm playing a lot of Minecraft. (laughs) Going with classic. Um, I've played a lot of the, uh, Shadow, or, uh, it's a great time to have a brain fart. Um, the Middle Earth franchise. Yeah, okay. I've played a lot of those. Um, right now I'm playing Shadow of War the most. Uh, played a lot of Skyrim, as I mentioned before. <laughs> um, I've spent way too much money on the uh, extra stuff on Skyrim. Uh, <laughs> you play some Overwatch too, right? Yeah, I haven't been able to play in the last few months because my internet is questionable. Okay. <laughs> so, but yeah, I love Overwatch whenever I can play it. Like, you know. Very nice. Ignore Very my nice. So tell us a little bit about um, growing up. Uh, nice. Very nice. Um, got a little uh, Arisa. Uh, that's how you say it, right? It's been, it's been a long time since I played Overwatch. <laughs> but uh, I haven't been able to play recently because of my internet. So, what's the first game you remember playing as a kid? If we're talking games on PC, um, let's see, it's either Civ Four or Civ Five, okay. or um, might have actually been that uh, Pirates of the Caribbean one. It was a smaller game. It was on CD. Okay. That was a while back. I really liked playing that. I may not have understood it completely, but <laughs> I just like running around. Um, so that was that would be PC. Um, if we're talking consoles, that would be uh, uh, probably Wii Sports <laughs> or Mario Kart. Wii Sports I, so. is a great... 
I still don't know that I've, I've found sports games as good as some of the games in Wii Sports. I feel um, like, uh, Wii Sports was so hard. Yeah. I, I feel like, David, like, are we, like, now in the Wii Sports generation? Like, a lot of kids are going <laughs> to say, like, their first games were Wii Sports, like, going forward. Like, you know, our generation, a lot of people, I mean, my age, maybe close to David's age, we'll see. Uh, would probably say like Super Mario Brothers is like right. your first like foray into gaming. I mean, let's be honest. I would say a majority. Oh, yeah. We could do a majority was, rule. First so, game at a friend's house was was Super Mario Bros. Totally same. Same. So, are we in the Wii Sports generation of like a lot of people are gonna? Because I mean, everybody had that. We all had it. And families would play it. Like it was cool yeah. to play with your family. Um, well, I, I think today's kids, I mean, the kids, my kids are going to be the Animal Crossing generation. You know, they're going to remember, like, playing Animal Crossing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we've all got our Nintendo game that I think is the first game. Um, but I'm curious, Nintendo you know, ones. because that, that gets us a little bit into my next question, which is, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot on our podcast about uh, parents and gaming and how to pick the right games for your kids. Uh, and I just want to hear, you know, at least from your perspective as a person who was uh, until recently a kid, um, you know, you, you magically have graduated to adulthood now. Um, but um, as a person who was, who was, you know, very recently a kid, I mean, did your parents have very strict uh, restrictions on what you could and couldn't play? Is there a specific age you remember, like being able to play older games? Uh, you know, did they let you play Doom when you were three? I mean, what's where, where's uh where was uh, the parent decision-making for you? And how did you feel like that went? Would you recommend it? Um, I'd say my parents were pretty relaxed with the whole what games and what genres to play. I mean, they weren't super relaxed. Like, I'm, as far as I'm aware, I'm still not allowed to play Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> Well, I think so. you have to be 35 to play that, so. Uh, yeah, but it made it a lot easier since I never, I'd never, I didn't have much of an allowance. And the allowance I did have was like maybe a dollar a week. So if I wanted to get a game or something, it would have to be either birthday Christmas money or saving up my $1 allowance. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was kind of limited to what I could get. If I wanted a game, I had to ask my parents. Cause it would be coming from them. Cause I never had a credit card or debit card or bank account sure. until I was 16. Yeah. 16. So it, they had a lot of say over what I could actually get when it comes to actual like genres and stuff. Uh, they didn't really have too much of a limit. Okay. Did your parents ever play uh, games? It's really, uh, um, yeah, my dad, he uh, plays a lot of sort of strategic games. That's how I got into uh, Civ. Okay. Uh, Civ 4 and Civ 5 were my first ones. Uh, so I, I always played that a lot. Uh, my mom can't stand staring at computer screens. She says it makes her motion sick, which <laughs> I can understand. If you stare at Minecraft all day, then you start feeling it. <laughs> yeah. You start seeing creepers in real life. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Start hearing like sizzling behind you. Yeah, I'm also curious. Um, so how would how would you say games acted for you, like as a as a kid growing up? I mean, was it a fun escape? Was it a place you found kind of commonality with other kids? Um, you know, was it a, was it a community thing? Was it an escape? Was it just kind of a fun hobby? Um, 
what function did games have in your childhood? Uh, I kind of, I don't want to go into the whole um, bum city background thing too much, but I'm autistic, specifically Asperger's, but it's autism spectrum nowadays. Um, so I didn't have a whole lot of friends in school. In fact, I always felt like, oh, the bullies didn't even care enough about me to bully me. They didn't think I was worth bullying. Mm. It was that kind of thing. <laughs> Which I think is worse than bullying, because at least they're acknowledging your existence. <laughs> um, but, so when I found uh, Minecraft specifically, I hid, <laughs> kind of hid, hid myself in Minecraft. That was my first uh, major game. Um, uh found YouTubers. I devoted myself to good old Stampy Longnose, which I can't stand now. Don't know how I spent hours watching his videos. Uh, <laughs> cringe. Anyway, um, so I hid myself in Minecraft and YouTube, and that's how I actually found out about Skyrim. And okay. then I got Skyrim from that. Um, and I found out about Minecraft servers. Uh, I started playing on those a lot. And then that's, I think it was Mineplex Sheep Quest is where I mess, met one of my like oldest and best friends. Okay. Um, and I still, like, I talked to her this morning still. Um, she's actually in college class right now. <laughs> I think she's actually kind of pushing that off to make pumpkin bread right now. Anyways, <laughs> well, but I met her. Bread. Yeah. I met her playing that and uh, she introduced me to one of my other oldest and closest friends. Like I, I wouldn't replace him for anything, Renee. And so I met some of my best friends playing games. Nice. So that's, that's really neat. Um, I think especially... Uh, with, I, did, I did hide myself in the games a lot, yeah. but I did. But then I found people that sort of taught me. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's kind of a double a double thing, you know, where on the one hand, you know, it may be kind of an escaping, you know, the difficult stuff of reality and, and you know, kind of escaping the harshness of the world. Um, but also then there's a beauty in that you were able to, in escaping the harshness of maybe some of the real world um, communities that are out there or real world situations, you were able to find a more positive place, you know, a more positive uh, place to find friends, you know? And so I think it's beautiful. Um, I think last question I've got, and then I think Russ has a question for you um, is I'm just wondering, you know, especially as a person. Um, so, at, you know, I think we've talked, my son uh, is on the spectrum. Um, but, you know, especially as a person who uh, has ASD or who's on the spectrum, um, I'm wondering, do you have any advice for other folks who might be on the spectrum uh, when it comes to gaming or, you know, parents of kids who might be on the spectrum uh, when it comes to gaming? Um, I'll just I'll lead sort of back into the um, what game games my parents let me play. My parents were, I think that's what they were doing, but they seemed to be pretty aware that I was trying to mimic other people's behavior because that's that's what you do when you have autism is you just mimic and see if trial and error see what works what doesn't see what feels best for you personally to use it's that kind of stuff um so they were i i 
again, I'm not completely certain, but I think that's what they were doing. So they didn't want me playing Grand Theft Auto, I think, because I would have wanted to mimic the whole, I don't like this, so I can actually do something about it. Right. There's uh, not, the, not oh, good examples. Police car. <laughs> so, um, so they were very conscientious of what I should and shouldn't be playing because they knew that I was mimicking behavior. Mm-hmm. So it's just that kind of stuff. I was mimicking behavior and they didn't want me playing games that I would be mimicking and would possibly hurt me negatively. Sure. Like I know there are tons of studies out there showing that like violent games have no actual impact on kids' brains other than well, there's some impact, but no major, super big impact. But that's, I feel like those studies are covering, um, like, physical changes in the brain. It's not covering if a kid has autism or a social disability, whether or not they're going to be trying to mimic the behavior they watch in video games. Because video games are so, because that game may be so super popular and they think, oh, everyone likes this game, so what if I mimic the behavior in this game? People will like me more. Right. So I, I just feel like those studies don't really take that into consideration. <laughs> yeah, it's good to make that distinction, too, that, you know, especially in those studies, you know, maybe not taking into consideration um, certain types of brains, right, and brain function. So, Russ, you had a question. Yeah, so I have a question. I like asking it to people, especially gamers, um, because I think it kind of gives us a little peek inside of your brain and what you think and your personality and things like that. So you especially being you know, a Skyrim person, a Minecraft person, um, when it comes to character creation, are you more likely to create yourself in a game or create like a different vision that you might have for yourself? Um, I think it's a very interesting thing to kind of delve into. Um, in Skyrim, I never really did that. I never really made myself, um, or tried to play as myself. I always, I always went with Khajiit. (laughs) Funny enough, I actually, um, nearly every single time I tried to go with contrasting colors or trying to turn a Khajiit into Carter back here, (laughs) like Carter into Khajiit and playing that. And, and so explain that uh, for those people that aren't watching on our YouTube channel. Uh, what What is it that you're pointing at there for people that who are listening funny. audio only? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, that's good. my cat. That's my okay. cat. <laughs> nice. I've been sitting back there this entire time. Anyways, but so that's what I did in Skyrim. Uh, for Minecraft, for a while, um, I did. I chose like mobs and stuff. So like animals and block skins. So, for the longest time, I was, uh, my skin was a grass block. Uh, I moved out of that, and I finally designed my own skin, which was a portrayal of me. Uh, so I had the jacket that I always wore, I had a scarf that I was particularly attached to that year. Um, (laughs) and then I moved into watching, I think it was specifically Torchwood. It was a Doctor Who spinoff. But there's this character in there, and he wore like this, uh, like military officer band uniform type thing. 
And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. I think that would look good on a Minecraft skin. So I hop on the skin decks <laughs> and <laughs> I'm looking around and I find one that I like. It's blue and gold. And that was my skin for three years. I kept the same head, so it was still had a piece of my original design on it. Um, and then I, when I graduated, I chose to change that skin to uh, my school colors. <laughs> Just Jeez. for sentimental reasons. <laughs> yeah. And I changed it a bit, so it's in a different style. And it still has the same head, though. <laughs> had the same head for six years now? Seven, maybe? So, last question I've got for you is, um, do you have any, I mean, I know you said you're agnostic, um, but I always, I always love that because I think, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot on Crossfire is like, we're a place for people of all uh, or no faith. Um, you know, I think we're, we can come together over our values, uh, even if we don't necessarily agree the same things. Um, but I'm just curious, do you have any favorite pieces of scripture at all? Oh. So we're looking at all the different Bible versions. <laughs> it's annoying. Anyway, uh, here. Yeah, I'll just go with uh, King James version. Okay. Uh, it's Galatians four sixteen. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Okay. So tell me a little bit about that. I mean, what does that what does that mean to you? Uh. I, I think it just sort of is a good description of modern day society. It's like, if someone doesn't like what you say, they s somehow turn it against you and make you the bad guy. <laughs> Even if you're pointing out the obvious. It's like, it's like me saying to Russ, uh, oh, your wall is green. And he's like, no, it's not. It's purple. And now I hate you. <laughs> it, yeah. Somehow it's literally like that and I think it's just interesting to see something that was written thousands of years ago still have so much truth today absolutely well Elise thank you so much for coming on our podcast and for uh, exploring the news with us and uh, letting us interview you a little bit about just your experience with gaming um, Russ do you have any housekeeping before we end our podcast today um, well, obviously, we said that the website is up and live, so now I don't have to route and you know sign off with every single piece of social media that we're on. So instead, I'm going to tell everybody at home or listening in your car, feel free to go to crossfirepodcast.com. You can get all the information, our Twitter account, YouTube, Facebook, all of those wonderful things now at one location. So I am going to have more uh, voice after this stuff because I'm not going to have to recite all that. So again crossfirepodcast.com or if you want to just have it a little bit easier churchforgamers.com but we do have crossfire podcast down below in our video version of the podcast so you guys know where to go um, and yeah feel free to follow us on any of the social media platforms of your choice and interact with us we love getting to talk and chat with other people um, you know join us when we stream on twitch in the chat it's always a fun time and we do appreciate all the wonderful support um, and community that we have built with Crossfire and continue to build, hopefully going forward. Um, but other than that, I think that is it from my side. Uh, again, thank you so much, Elise, for joining us. Um, thank you to my co-host. Hope I was all right. 
hope I no, didn't you, screw up too much. Yeah, you were great. great. You were great. Um, we do appreciate having you on and sharing a little bit about yourself. Um, and again, thank you to my co-host, the Reverend David Petty, uh, as always. Um, and other than that, I think we are done with this week's podcast. We will be back in a two weeks for another podcast. Um, so until then, uh, check out our other stuff we got going on, and we will see you guys very soon. Have a good one, and God bless. Fire.